Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today, if you love leadership content, if you love organizational development, if you love like leading teams or, or being a part of a team that has just an amazing leader, you're going to love our conversation. I promise you. On the podcast today is Mo Carrick. Mo, it is so great having you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Totally. I was so looking forward to this. I have a personal passion for this whole space and you're like working and living in it. And I can't wait to unpack your story. So you're best-selling author and founder of Momentum Inc. Let's start with this. So share with our audience a little bit about your background and your day job, and then we'll get into the book. How's that sound? That sounds great. Awesome. Good. Thanks, Justin. So, you know, it's funny because I have sons, I have three children and my sons are in their 20s. And one of the things that's happened to me with them is that they have been, you know, they ask me now that they've graduated from college and they're like, so mom, how did you get into, you know, what you do? And it's always such an interesting journey and I won't bore, <laughs> I won't bore you with all of it, right? But, um, but listening to you and, you know, your performance background and stuff, I just think it's so interesting how we evolve. So when I was much younger, I was an English major in college. I was also an outdoor educator and I went on to be a wilderness guide. Oh my so gosh. I worked, Very I cool. Know, I love that. I know. So I worked for Outward Bound, which many people know. I worked for several of the schools and I also worked for um, the National Outdoor Leadership School. And I, I always like people to know that because... I think it's really where I cut my teeth on working with groups, you know, helping people to, you know, to come together. But um, I decided I worked for a long time with youth at risk um, and and ended up kind of feeling as though a social work degree was probably not where I wanted to go. So a friend of mine was studying organizational development, which is the study of people in systems. And I thought, oh, that seems like a cool thing to get my my master's on. So I did that. And then I worked internally as a consultant for a couple of different companies, both in high tech and in um, the medical space. And then I decided to go on my own, sort of went back to my roots in adventure, working for um, the leading kind of facilities-based adventure design company in the world, or at least they were back then project adventure. And then I went off on my own in 2001, working with um, clients in a custom capacity with Momentum, which is my my company now. We're a certified benefit corporation, if you know what that means. Absolutely. Um, so we're pretty committed to companies that are sustainable in in all the ways, you know, all the ways that matter. Well, so I'm, it's been it's been a lo- logical evolution, but like not one I ever could have predicted. No, I love it, and you know, it's actually it's funny. I've, if there's one master's degree I've thought about going back and getting, it's in the whole IO psychology space because I just love the thought, you know, of understanding people. And one of the quotes I had read on you was that you know, one of the things you talk about is successful work is dependent on human relationships. And that's kind of the foundation of a lot of your business. And then the book we're about to talk about, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. And I, when I first started in this business, I won't even, well, I will tell you the year I got my degree was in, <laughs> in, in 1989. Like I've been at it a long time. Um, but, you know, we knew then what we know now and in particular about what it takes for people to thrive and how it is that businesses change and evolve or really organizations of any type to be really effective. And yet we're still, we're still missing the mark in a lot of ways. And so while the pace of change has, has dramatically increased and the way organizations are structured in the digital media world, you know, a lot's changed, but there's some foundational pieces that, that haven't. And I think we have some opportunities to, to continue to really improve how it is that we, 
that we do what we do in these systems. No question. Well, and for those of you that don't know Mo, a co-author of Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job, check that out. But today what we're talking about is her newest book coming out just in the next couple of weeks, actually. It's so fun to have you on at this point in the launch cycle. And the book has got an amazing name, which we're going to dive into. It's called Brave Space Workplace, Making Your Company Fit for Human Life. So let's start with the title. And I see Brave Space Workplace. I love it. I love the rhyme in it too. Talk about what that means before we dive into some of the specifics here. I love the title too. <laughs> it's like, got a like, such oh a cool God, title. It's like so it. unique. Well, it's so hard. It's hard to find the right title, you know, as you know. Yes. And the way we define a, a Brave Space Workplace is, is this. We say that it is one where people can show up as they are, both perfect and flawed, do, and do great things together. Brave Space Workplaces activate, enliven, and generally support the complex humans that we are so that we can bring all of ourselves to work every day. Um, that's kind of the definition that I'm building, um, you know, in the book. The term Brave Space, interestingly, Justin, isn't our term. Well, what we thought it was our term. We thought we were being brilliant. <laughs> and I think we're like, oh, Brave Space, you know, we came right. up with the word. And then we just thought, well, better Google it, make sure we're not like, infringing and discovered that the term brave space is actually being used um, these days often in the college campus and student personnel environment to describe what they used to call as a safe space which was around kind of diversity and inclusion particularly around transgender dynamics and they've moved to brave space because they've kind of learned that they can't really promise safety that you know showing up sometimes really still has risk to it. And so instead, they're working to create campuses where people feel supported being brave. And and, and I, I love the fact that, you know, oh, well, too bad we didn't invent the word, but it still works really nicely, um, you know, in, in the workplace context. And I like to credit uh, those early adopters, you know, to, to kind of coining the term. Yeah. I mean, like anybody that's written a book, right? Titles is, is one of the first things people read. It's a hook, right? So I just thought it was really cool when I got the little the um, the note on it. Uh, book for leaders seeking to build successful organizations by helping them their people thrive. So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to dive in. I've I've gone through your digital copy. Thank you for sending that over. And I'd love to dive in and unpack a couple of the the key sections of the book. So let's start with this this whole idea of people making companies great. And I I think we hear that a lot from leaders and we hear a lot about that you know oh we want to make you know people first and whatnot and that's just not the case at a lot of companies but talk about what that means here in your book well you know the there's a couple of different layers so the first one for me that i come at is that any company but especially companies today in our global economy with the very service-oriented um environment kind of post-industrial revolution that we have going on we the quality of what we produce and the efficiency of it is hugely dependent on the people performing those jobs and one of the things i try to tackle in in the section about people making company companies great is this whole notion of what role then is technology you know playing for us i call that chapter ai machines and robots oh my because we we, you know we hear a lot about like jobs are being outsourced to technology and you know ai is everywhere um i just heard a ted speaker talk about how a lot of journalism is being replaced by artificial intelligence and so there's this like weird kind of paradox around our our job is work really threatened by technology and what my research really shows and what i've uh, heard so often from clients is that in some cases, yes, that's true. Robots, artificial intelligence, ways to analyze big data, machines themselves are taking some work away from people. But the work it's taking away is actually not the highest and best 
work for people. And there's so many things that only people can do. And in fact, all of the jobs that are um, that only people can do are are really um, powerful. They almost always involve human connection. So leadership and customer service and patient care uh, and education, all of those things actually can't be done. Replicated. By totally so, agree. I, I have, my day job is in the analytics and AI space. And it, it is funny. There's been a lot of buzz there for a long time. And there are some very repetitive uh, processes and tasks that can be easily replaced by machine learning, et cetera. And, and there's others that just, re- you, it re- requires human involvement, especially uh, when you're doing, you're building relationships between companies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so being able to, to really, if we really believe that that's true, if we say to ourselves, okay, if, in order for my company to achieve what it wants to, whether it's through its revenue or through its mission, I've got to really believe then that, the people that work here are what's going to make it great. And when they're firing on all cylinders and they're bringing everything they've got and they're using technology in the ways that make sense, then we're going to get the greatness we want. Then that can really drive everything that we do, every decision we make about how we run that business or organization, which is what I'm trying to tackle. Big topic, but it's what I'm trying to ta- tackle in this kind of little book. <laughs> little. <laughs> well, so I, this is that's a great segue to the next piece here. And I love this one. Most workplaces are unfit for human life. So how do I know if my workplace is fit or unfit? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you you, uh, you got you got to hear it, you know, from your people and No question. We we've, we've watched this data, you know, certainly the Gallup poll and the Great Places to Work surveys of some of the big magazines has been really helpful and informative, but we see it coming um, everywhere from from Towers Parent to Deloitte. Um, everybody's got data today that tells us that um, employee engagement and satisfaction is on the decline, not on the incline, despite the advances that we've made in things like technology. So how can this be like we're taking away the boring, redundant jobs and people are still miserable? We have you know lower loyalty than ever between employees and employer, and we see the entering generations, the the millennials and the Generation Z, the young ones that are coming up behind, like my daughter who's 17, they're actually looking at the workplace in very, very different ways. And so what they need to to feel um, to feel enlivened is quite different than what someone like me needed at my age. So one of the things that I um through my research have unpacked is what I call the seven things that people really need from work. And that work, those seven things had their genesis in the Fit Matters book that you mentioned that I wrote with my co-author, Cami Dunaway, who's now the CMO of Duolingo. And Cami and I really tried to discover what is it that makes for a good work fit, not fitting in, but really finding a workplace where you thrive for job seekers. And that same research I reopened and re-looked at for Brave Space to say, okay, what is it? that we need from work in a material way, because actually I think the workplace meets more of our needs um, for our overall lives than it ever has before. Um, and I'm happy to talk about those seven things if you want or, or not. <laughs> I know we're tied on time. <laughs> well, I'm going to let our listeners check out that book, but I, what I do want to do is talk about the five levers that you've highlighted in this book around creating an, an amazing workplace, if that's cool with you. All right. So let's dive in. So I love this. So like any great book, I love the kind that really give you something to go and do, right? That's what I think is cool about your five levers here. So all right, level one, lever one, <laughs> I wrote level. <laughs> lever one is the human essentials. So leaders with head and heart habits, which I love that one, 
and teams who care. Talk about lever number one. Well, it's the biggest lever. It's the one I spend the most time um, in. You may have seen in my um, in researching me a bit that I'm also a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. So I use Dr. Brene Brown's work um, quite a bit. And in particular for what I call act one of, of the first lever, leaders with head and, hearts, um, head and heart habits, Dr. Brown's work really feeds that very well because a lot of that has to do with how, how are we brave? How do we have a practice of courage that allows us to enter and engage in the really hard conversations, the, the ones that kind of make our, our palms sweat. Um, and there's other skills that matter for leaders, but if we don't have those human connection and courage skills at the basis, it's really going to be hard for us to partner, especially when we have to partner and when we're challenged to partner across the difference, whether it's across the traditional differences like race, race or ethnicity or age or gender, but also with our vendors, with other companies that we have to partner with in the, in the global environment. So, you know, for me, leadership in the human essentials, leadership's at the core. Um, we copy leaders, we respond to leaders. They really have the privilege and the space of knowing um, and hopefully being able to notice and tap into the potential of the people that work uh, with them to activate you know, its greatness. So I think that it's essential that every company really starts with leaders and not only having heads. You know, a friend of mine, Justin, said years ago to me this, this great comment. She said, Mo, sometimes I feel like executives especially, they come into the room and they have these really good brains. They're really smart. I make this point in the book. Most of my clients are so smart. And she, the way she described it, was she, she said, it's like they have these big heads that are really full of information and knowledge, but they have these tiny atrophied hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow. wow, that's such a strong, you know, image, but, but it's ironic, isn't it? When we think about the fact so that the true. seat of emotion actually is in our brain. No doubt. Well, and so you know, many people are looking for, you know, comfort in like in their work environment, you know, they want to feel like they're, they're in a place where they're appreciated, where they're respected, where they can leverage the what's in their brains in a, a way that is impactful, right? I mean, the, and that's kind of creates an, envi an amazing environment. Yeah, to be seen. And when we know our companies through our leaders, you know, so I often say to clients, you know, you, you can have the best, most inspired CEO that ever lived on this earth. But if I work four layers down from him and my boss is a jerk, then <laughs> right. it doesn't matter because That's I true. know my company so through true. that boss. So, you know, so leaders true. have to be at the, at the center. And then the other lever in the who um, or the other act in the who section, the human essentials is teams who care. And I think I'm really grateful, actually, to Google, who has been a client for the research that they provided in their 2015 study, which is now called the Aristotle Project, where they really brought data forward to talk about social capital and how being part of a team that sees us and that can um, can have our back and really understand our emotional footprint is critical to high performance. And so I think, yes, we've got to look at leaders in the who, but we also got to look at teams. Who am I working with every day? How do I feel part of something bigger than myself? Um, it's really a type of community, isn't it? it? Absolutely is. No question. Let's go to lever number two, a conscious culture. What is a conscious culture? Well, I think of a conscious culture as like one that you that you are conscious of and that you notice name and in some cases even can measure. And, you know, you know, you know, this from your experience, Justin, I mean, culture sort of forms in an organization without our tacit involvement, right? It's just sort of the founders get together. They have a good idea. They 
they start something. And then as we start bolting on success and adding people, the culture begins to form. And then there comes a certain point where it becomes something hopefully that's visible to others, certainly to our customers. I like to think of it simply as the way we do things here. And culture at its best is deeply rooted in our values, the values we hold as a company. And and at its best, the values manifest themselves in behaviors that are that are you know demonstrated by every employee and that all adds up to culture and we know a healthy culture when we're part of one and we That's know a sure. toxic one yep. um i have been a part of both sadly but i guess we kind of all have at some point in our careers get you know think of one thing and we might find another when we're there yeah well i mean it's true i think most of us have been part of a toxic culture and sometimes we're not even sure what's wrong we're just like oh this doesn't feel working like the place with me yeah no question all right lever number three the where and the when purposeful design what is that Mm. you know it's funny a lot of people i'm getting feedback now that the book's releasing that a lot of people when they first see purposeful design, they think I'm referring to the actual work environment. Right, the actual and, office yeah. space. Right. <laughs> the office space, yeah. And there is some there is some cool, you know, stuff going on. I mean, the the um uh, the Amazon, you know, domes up in Seattle that are that are getting so much press and people with open space offices. And you know, it's not that that doesn't matter. It it does matter. But what I'm talking about here is a little bit more um more complex because in my mind and in my research, everything that an organization does is ultimately designed and some of the design things matter more than others. So an example for me is how is accountability held? How do performance conversations unfold between an employee? Let's say you're my boss, Justin, how do we talk about what good looks like and um, how do I get the feedback I need? That's all, that's all design, you know, in addition to um, the ways in which um, organizational hierarchy unfolds, how does accountability match authority? What are my compensation structures? What are my um, inherited um, other benefits besides compensation? What is my workspace? What are my work hours? Can I flex time? Can I work with home? Those are from home. Those are all design elements that really often create either a positive, healthy, vibrant employee employer relationship or one that's not satisfying to the employee or, or in some cases to the employer. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that one. Um, lever five, sorry, level, <laughs> lever four is the why meaning and context so like is your role in the environment and the company because do you walk away and you feel like you've really made an impact just the way i read this one yeah i think so i mean i'm curious because you you're you know you do a variety of different things right now do you feel like if you were to sit give me the sound by right now um what what about what you're doing right now really matters Uh, that's (laughs) you're not supposed to ask me the questions Well, you know, actually, it's kind of funny. In my day job, I think one of the things, you know, my why, you know, it's probably uh, twofold. One, I feel like I'm providing direction, uh, structure, um, the the kind of the people leadership that the group that I lead needs, and some of the, the just some of the basics, also like listening and understanding what people's interests are, and helping them with career guidance and how do they move on and up and across and or out, you know, like how does that work and having those conversations as much as, 
you know, the other things like how do they get, how do we get them exposure in the organization? How do we make sure that they're delivering results and, and, um, and that their brand is, is developing like that. That's kind of my why in my day job. Like, and, and I'm hoping that out of that, they are, you know, deriving meaning and they're feeling like that they are, you know, growing and evolving and making a difference, but you know, their career is progressing. Yeah, I, I love that, and good for you. I mean, what a privilege right, to have that, you know, to have that be be driving you every day. And you know, this whole section, the why, has to do with largely. I'm trying to define and help leaders understand what their role is in creating meaning and context, um, you know, for their employees. And oftentimes, people think that what I mean there is that like the organization needs to exist for a higher social good. And I think they think that maybe sometimes because I am a, my company is a benefit corp and I have a, a commitment to the triple bottom line, but in, but most of my clients are not benefit corps. I mean, we're, we're after profit just as much as, you know, the next guy. Right. But I think what I'm getting at here, what I am trying to unpack in this um, with this lever is that whatever your, the reason that your company exists, it's critical that the employees can get their head around why what they are doing really matters. And this came really clear to me very early in my career. I wasn't even in my career yet. It was when I was in college. I took a job to be near my boyfriend. Really good reason to move to a different town when you're 19, <laughs> you know. And um, I was a janitor. And so I got taught how to clean the rooms and I didn't pay much attention. And then about a month into the job, I had a uh, one of my patients who had come in. I knew she had come in for um, gallbladder surgery because we had chatted when I was like mopping the floor and she died. And it was horrible. And my boss, whose name was Pedro, he sat me down. He said, I just want to talk about Mrs. So-and-so and, you know, the, this unfortunate incident. I wanted to make sure you understood why, you know, why she died. And, and he educated me that she had contracted an infection in the hospital and that um, that's a, a big part of our responsibility. And he reminded me about the protocol of how I was to clean the room. And in particular, what sticks out even now, 40 years later, is that it was the order in which we use the different um, chemicals for cleaning that really matter because some got some germs and some got other germs. And for me, like, I'll never forget that conversation because it took this, this basic, you know, summer job of being a janitor to a whole nother level around, oh my gosh, like what I'm doing really matters. It could impact whether a healthy person gets an, a disease or, or does it. And, and I think oftentimes as bosses and supervisors, we don't connect those dots for our employees. So somebody finds themselves, you know, in spreadsheets or cleaning something and they don't have any connection about why does this job matter, you know? So that's really what that why is about, both at a macro level for the company, but also really at a very micro level for the, for the very frontline employee. Yeah. I also link that one to like mission and vision and having a very clear portable, you know, understood communicated vision for the organization and then how that ties down to an individual right i mean yeah yeah well, that's totally. probably another topic for another day um all right and last yeah, but not yeah. least <laughs> number five the soft mm -hmm. stuff and being real i i, I kind of i got a little bit of that from your story just there um but i mean i think this is a, a big one and the whole being real I, I also tie that to like humility um or just you know transparency mm. Yes, absolutely. I, I think what I really wanted to close the book out with lever five is that um, there's really seven practices for leaders in particular at work, um, but really with individual employees as well that allow us to be authentically showing up as human beings in a way that facilitates us being good at our jobs. And um, it has to do with things, I won't go through them all, but one of them, for example, is walking your talk. You know, so if you have a value that you 
profess or a belief that you had, you know, show up that way. Um, I also talk about naming the ugly, the scary and the hard. You know, one of the things that amazes me in my work as a consultant is I get called so often for broken teams and, and um, you know, disillusioned employees because the hard conversations that need to happen aren't happening. And how is it that we can talk through the things where I might say, gosh, I'm, I'm afraid or I'm incompetent or I made a mistake or I don't know what to do or I don't think I want to be here anymore. You know, <laughs> how do we talk about that in a way that can end up with a positive outcome. Um, and so I just try, I'm trying with these seven things. One of them, you know, another one as an example is that leaders go first. You know, I think that, um, uh, and I don't want to, I don't ever want to over hit this because it's not that the leaders at every level are the most important people in the organization. They're not. The front line is usually the most important people, but the leaders have a huge responsibility for modeling the behaviors and the attitudes um, and the mindset that they seek, you know, in their employees. So, you know, what I've found, and it used to be, and you probably remember these days, right? It still happens sometimes, but when I was first in this business, um, people would often say to me, oh yeah, you're the touchy feely one, you know, (laughs) you're the the one that deals with the soft stuff. Right. And um, what I've come to really believe is that the soft stuff is the hardest stuff there is. No question. No question. And it's often the thing that most leaders struggle with. It's just not natural for, for many drivers, especially. Well, it's not. And we don't teach it very well in MBA school. I mean, I think we're getting better at, at education, educating people about emotional intelligence and connection, but um, it's still it's still a little bit a little bit behind. Yeah, no question. Well, uh, this has just been an awesome conversation. So, Mo, I love the idea of the book. Um, where can our listeners find the book? Where can they find you? How can they engage with you, et cetera? Absolutely. So they can find anything they want, really, on the <laughs> on the MoCarrick.com website. There is also a website for Brave Space Workplace. That's just a book website. Um, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, also through the independent bookstores for pre-sale right now. Um, and it will be available for real starting May 21st. Yeah, Brave Space Workplace, making your company fit for human life. Mo, it has been awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate the time. Look forward to talking more. For sure. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.